Welcome this morning. It's good to see everybody here. How's everybody doing today? All right, so eight of us are doing good. The rest of y'all are doing all right. We're going to work on that as we move through this thing today. Um, it was exciting to get to be here this morning with the, uh, the senior recognition. It reminds me of when uh, my oldest son went through this not that very long ago, but yet still feels like a lifetime ago, to be real honest with you. So I appreciate y'all making me feel young this morning. That was awesome. My name is Ben Lofton. I have the privilege of uh, serving on staff as one of the pastors here at New Beginnings Baptist Church. And, uh, and like I said, welcome. If you're a visitor here, you heard Pastor Matt say, we are so glad uh, that you're here this morning. If you didn't have a chance to stop by one of the visitor tents, make sure you do. We, we've got a, a gift for you. We want to bless you with that. We'd also love to get a, a record of your, uh, your visit with us uh, today so that we can follow up with you. But we're just certainly glad that you're here uh, uh, today. Last Sunday was awesome. We got to celebrate Mother's Day. I always enjoy getting to celebrate the moms in our church and in my life. Um, it's just a great day. And ladies, I just want to say that I hope that your family loved you well last week. You were all very deserving of it. I know, my, I know myself, so I know that my wife and my mother are very deserving of anything that she was blessed with, and more so. So it was a good week. Um, this week, we are going to jump back into our sermon series that we've been in in Philippians called To Live is Christ. And we're to, this week, we're going to be still in chapter 1, but we're going to be in verses 21 through 26. So if you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there, and we'll get there in a few minutes. But the first thing I want to do is I want to give us a, a quick recap of where we've been so far in To Live is Christ. And I also want to look at one overarching idea that I want us to keep in our mind as we look through verses 21 through 26. So really we started in the book of Philippians in a separate sermon series called Healthy Church where we talked about what it looks like to be a healthy church. We talked about the offices of the church. We talked about the blessing of our elders and our deacons and we worked through that. And then we arrived in, uh, in, in verse 12 through 18. And this is where we looked at gospel passion. We looked at the apostle Paul and he had what we called a gospel passion that drove him. And we saw that uh, even with this gospel passion that he viewed his imprisonment as a good thing, because he said that it served to advance the gospel. So you've got the Apostle Paul there. He's in prison. He's writing this letter to the church at Philippi. He's been there for two years, and he says, you know what? I'm in prison. No problem. It's all good. The gospel's being advanced. He even told us in there that, uh, that people were preaching the gospel from impure motives, and they were trying to do him harm. He said, you know what? It's not a big deal, because the gospel is being advanced. So it's all good, okay? We see that this gospel passion that Paul had turns obstacles into opportunities. And what it also does is it gives us a, a singular focus on God being glorified through the gospel being advanced. So that's what we see in Paul's life when we talk about his gospel passion. Last uh, time we were in this, uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Matt preached from verses 19 and 20, and he talked about Paul having a supernatural joy. Joy is the overarching theme of the entire letter uh, of Philippians. You will find it in every corner, in every sentence, in every word in Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And Pastor Matt talked to us about this supernatural joy. And he, Paul said that he had, he was able to walk in this supernatural joy because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he said that it was supplied by the prayers of the church. So we got to see how the church gets to partner with one another as we pray for each other for the filling of the Holy Spirit so that we can walk in supernatural joy. And it was that supernatural joy that led to Paul's uh, unwavering confidence and unashamed courage is what Pastor Matt told us that Paul was walking. And we find that to be true if you look at Philippians 1.20. It says, as it is my eager expectation and hope 
that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So up till now, we've worked from chapter, in chapter 1 from verses 12 through 20, and we have seen a singular focus on the fulfillment of the mission of God, which is the advancement of the gospel for the glory of God and for the joy of God's people, regardless of persecution, regardless of prison, Regardless of anything, this was the mission of God. This was the mission that he had given his church, and this was the thing that Paul was walking in and doing. The singular mission was the advancement of the gospel. And we arrive at verse 21, which you guys know this. Philippians 1.21 is one of the probably the most uh, well-known verses in God's word. And I would tell you that in my life, and I find this to be true, it is one of the most impactful verses in all of the New Testament, if not all of God's word. And we're going to talk about that today. But what we see as we arrive in verse 21 is we see, and it's something that we'll see throughout the book of Philippians and all of Paul's writings, is what we see is we see this picture. We see a picture of a man, Paul, that is deeply in love with Jesus Christ. He's deeply in love with Jesus Christ. And we see Paul modeling what it looks like to be in love with Jesus for the church at Philippi, and for us here today, we get to see what it looks like to be completely and totally in love with Jesus. As I thought about this idea, I thought about the word love and how we use it in our society today, in our context. We really throw it around quite a bit, right? We love a lot of things. Like, I will hear uh, people say, I love pizza. How many people love ice cream? Yeah, that's right. The rest of you that didn't raise your hands, you're heathens. I don't know what to tell you. Ice cream's awesome. My wife and my children love crumble cookies. Love crumble cookies. We love them. I love the Texas Rangers. Now, listen, that's the only painful love that I've talked about yet so far. It's a burden that I carry, but I love them. I love the Texas Rangers, right? But here's what I began to think about. When I say I love the awful Texas Rangers or I love pepperoni pizza, this is the same word that I use when I say I love my wife. So surely I don't love pepperoni pizza or the Rangers as much as or the same that I love my wife, right? There's got to be a difference there. So I think that we use the word love a lot. When we really mean I really like something or something's really good or I really want something, we don't mean love, we mean I like it. I like it a lot. But the picture that we see of Paul is a man that is being totally in love with Jesus, not in a romantic way, but in a way that he is completely fixated on the person of Jesus. He has a deep and abiding affection for Jesus Christ. And this is seen throughout every letter that Paul writes. If you look a little bit further down in Philippians 3, 7 through 8, what we see is Paul writes, but whatever gain I had, I counted as, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. If we look at Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians 3, 1-3 says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. These are the words that are penned by someone who loves 
Jesus deeply, who has a deep and abiding affection. Paul says, I love him so much that I've counted everything in my life as rubbish for the surpassing worth of just knowing Jesus. Think about that for a minute. He says that my identity is totally found in Jesus because I've been crucified with him. I have been, myself has been killed and my identity now is completely in the thing that has my deepest affection and that is Jesus Christ. He says, I love Jesus so much that I want to seek the things that Jesus wants. I want what Jesus desires to be the thing that I desires. He says, myself has died and I am hidden with Christ in God. That word hidden means that, that when someone sees me now, they no longer see me, they see Jesus. Their view is obscured of me, I'm hidden with Christ. Paul is in love. He talks like a man that is in love with someone and Paul, someone is Jesus Christ. Now, with that in mind, with that idea in mind, with that overarching idea of Paul's deep, and abiding affection for the person of Jesus Christ, I want us to look at what he pens in Philippians 1, 21 through 26, and we'll spend the remainder of our time there this morning. So if you're there, say, the Bible is true. There we go. It says this, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So here's the idea that we're going to hold in view as we talk through verses 21 through 26. If you belong to Christ Jesus, then Jesus should be the love of your life. The affections of a believer should be for Christ before anyone or anything else. That's it. Before anything, before anyone. And I want to tell you something before we get started here today. We're going to talk a lot about Jesus being the, the, the deepest affection of Paul's heart. And it may, you may sit there right now and go, you know what, that feels unattainable. Paul is a super Christian. Here's what I would tell you. Paul doesn't have access to anything that you and I don't have access to today. He doesn't have, he doesn't have any special access. He's not some special super Christian. He is the same. If you are in Jesus Christ, he is the same as you and me. But the difference is Paul has a perspective that is completely, totally, dependently in love with Jesus Christ. So with that truth underpinning everything we talk about today, I think we're going to see two things in these verses that I want you to take out of here with you today. And the first thing is this. Jesus' glory is our ultimate goal. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus' glory is our ultimate goal. You see, if Jesus is the thing that I love more than anything else, then his glory is going to be the ultimate aim of everything my life is pointed at. That's how I know that I love him. Look at verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, to live is Christ. What is Paul saying when he says, for to me to live is Christ. And I think we look one verse down in verse 22 and he tells us, he says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor 
for me. You see, Paul's understood that what it meant to live as Christ was the meant that he was going to labor fruitfully for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We talked about Paul's fixation on the advancement of the gospel. This is what it meant to live for Christ. To live as Christ means that if he lives, he'll be laboring for Jesus Christ and that labor will be fruitful. Now look, we've seen tons of, of uh, evidence to say that uh, Paul doesn't care about his health. He doesn't care about his comfort. He doesn't care about his general well-being. What Paul sees, he sees his life as a tool that is for the use of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ at any cost. Paul equates living with the pursuit of the mission God has given him, and that is all his life is for. Look again at Philippians 3.8. He says, indeed, I count everything as lost at the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. My affection for Jesus is such that I count everything as loss. I count the things in my life as trash at the surpassing worth of just knowing Christ Jesus. So Paul knew the thing that we should know. Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is the goal, Jesus is the prize, Jesus is the gift. Not the things of Jesus, not the blessing he gives you, not the things he delivers you from, not the good life he may very well be sending each and every one of us into. The goal, the treasure is Jesus, the person, nothing else. And if Jesus is the thing that I'm longing for, that my affection is completely fixated on, then while I'm here in this flesh, I'm going to do the thing that brings Jesus the most glory. I'm going to labor to advance his gospel. And I'm going to effort to make that labor fruitful because I am in love with Jesus. Look again at Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul doesn't count himself as anything other than a tool to be used by Jesus Christ. And the affection of his heart is fixated on that. He sees Jesus' glory as his ultimate and only goal. Pastor and author John Piper, in his book Desiring God, said this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When we as believers find our deepest affections pointed at the person of Jesus Christ, when we find the satisfaction of our soul's longing for him, then we see the glorification of Jesus as our ultimate goal. The way we view Jesus, the affection we have for him is directly connected to the idea of us knowing that Jesus' glory is our highest goal. If Philippians has shown us anything so far, it's shown us that the advancement of the gospel is at the heart of revealing the glory of God to the world. It is the goal. It is what we are here for. And here's what I would tell you. When my affection for Jesus is at its deepest, my desire for his glorification is at its highest. The more I love him, the more I want him to be known and the more glory I want him to receive. They, they are tied 
to one another. So that's why Paul can say what he said. Pastor David Platt wrote this. He said, when we abandon the trinkets of this world and respond to the radical invitation of Jesus, which is the radical invitation of Jesus is follow me. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. So when we abandon the trinkets of this world and respond to the radical invitation of Jesus, we discover the infinite treasure of knowing and experiencing him. Remember, Jesus is the treasure, not what he can give you. He has given you himself if you belong to him. Paul knows that his life lived totally and completely surrendered to Jesus is fulfilling the mission he's been given, which is advancing the message of the gospel. And that is what brings Christ glory. Look at verses 24 through 26. Paul writes, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that you in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. He says again, to continue to live is fruitful labor. It's pursuing the mission of God. It's bringing Christ's glory by spreading the gospel at any cost necessary. And he says, because of that, I'm convinced that I'm going to stay here. Remember, Paul had been in prison for two years and he was awaiting trial that you and I, with the benefit of hindsight, know that he would never walk away from. He would never leave that prison cell alive. But he's convinced right here that that's what's going to happen. He's convinced because he's going to do it because it's for the Philippians' account. It's on their account. He says, for your progress, for your joy in the faith. He says, so that you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of my return to you. He, once again, we see Paul's fixation on the glorification of Christ. Everything is pointed at the fact that Jesus' glory is the goal of his life. But here's what we also see. When he says, but to remain in the flesh, what we're about to see is that while Paul knew that him staying was the best and most effective way for him to glorify God, he also knew that remaining in the flesh was not primarily Paul's desire. It's not what he wanted. And this is where I think we're going, I know we're going to see a tension that exists in this passage. And I think it's a tension that is at the heart of Christianity. If we look back at 21, it says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says to die is gain. If I'm living, I'm living for Jesus. And if you kill me, it's even better because I get to go be with him. When you hear someone say dying is gain, you ask one question, right? Why? Why? How many of us in here, if we're not sitting here listening to this message right now, if I said, what's better, living or dying, everybody's going to go, I'll take the dying. None of us. But Paul writes, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's because he knew the answer to the question of why. Because he gets Jesus. He gets to be in the presence of the thing that is his heart's deepest longing and affection. He gets more Christ, and that brings us to the second takeaway today, and this is for believers, Jesus' presence is our ultimate gain. If Jesus' glory is our ultimate goal, then for believers, Jesus' presence is our ultimate gain. That tension that I talked about really is expressed by Paul in verses 22 and 23. It says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. We've talked about that. <clears throat> and then he says this, he says, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. 
I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. What we see here is we see a man that is honestly, deeply, legitimately struggling with what is best. He literally is stuck between a rock and a hard place about whether living is better or dying is better. Paul's heart longs to be in the presence of Jesus, longs for it. He called it gain. In verse 23, he says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. This literally means he is stuck between a rock and a hard place. Two things are pressing on him, and he feels the weight of both of them. When he says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, there's a couple of words in here that I think are really uh, interesting and cool. Uh, the, the depart, when he says, I want to depart, um, in the original language, just carries a, sort of a nautical idea. So when we hear it, we should think of a ship loosing its moorings and sailing into, the, into its final destination, right? It's not a, a bad depart, I gotta get out of here. It's a, I'm loosing my ship and I'm sailing off into the thing that I'm been, I've been going towards. When he says far better, did Barton be with Jesus because it's far better? Uh, the grammar's terrible on it, but if you really translate it, it says much more better. I tried like crazy to get word to make that be okay, Every time it said it was wrong. Much more better was always bad grammar. But what it means is it's not just far better. It is much more better. It is of the highest order of good. It is the ultimate gain. That's how Paul viewed it. He knows his living would mean Jesus gets more glory, but he also knows in his dying he gets Jesus. That's the tension. Not one is better than the other. They both point the same way. That's the prize, Jesus. As believers, ever since you were saved, you've been told, and truthfully, that when you die, you get to go to heaven, right? This is the, this is the, this is the gift of God. His word says the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, right? We get to go to heaven. Now what heaven is, if I asked all of you, each of you would probably have a different answer to what it is. Let me, let me, let, I wanna give you a view of what I think. Heaven is not golden streets, it's not crystal castles, it's not wings, it's not harps. As much as I love golf, it's not me getting to hit a 300-yard drive down the fairway every time I play. And I hope there's golf in heaven, I really do. Heaven is not just, it's not primarily a place, heaven is a person. Heaven is the presence of God. Outside the bounds of time for eternity. And as I thought about this idea of what Paul's brain must have been thinking about seeing when he said dying is gain, it reminded me of 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 17. It says this, it says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction. Remember Paul, light and momentary affliction is beating, stoning, prison, shipwrecked, snake bit, every step dangerous, light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. When you ask Paul why dying is gain, he goes, because if you take my life, I get to walk into the eternal weight of the glory of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior and Creator. That's a view. That's a perspective. 
You know, one of the things that all pastors do and, uh, is we try to illustrate spiritual truths through life as we know it, right? So we try to compare things. Now, obviously, Paul says it's beyond comparison, but we're going to give it a try. Um, I'm a father. I have four kids. And if you're a parent in here, mom or dad, you're going you're gonna to connect with what I'm saying here because I know we've all been in this place. And if you haven't, you've probably been around a baby, so you'll understand. I'll never forget when uh, my children were born, and specifically uh, um, my son Harrison, um, I remember when we got him home and I remember holding him and looking at him and he would look at me and he would just be fixated on my face. He'd just be looking at me and smiling. He looked really happy and it made me feel great because I thought, man, killed it again. Dad's awesome. This is amazing. I got a human that thinks I'm the greatest thing on earth. But then inevitably what would happen is my wife would walk behind me and my child would catch a glimpse of her and instantly what I thought was his highest order of happiness, I knew it wasn't. That happiness for dad became an incomparable delight just at the mere sight of his mother. That smile would spread out across his face, his eyes would get wide, he would start to coo, he would start to talk, he would start to reach for her. And if she passed out of his sight, he would start to bark and scream and holler for mom, right? Ah, he wanted her. He wasn't hungry. He didn't need to be changed. He just wanted her. Why? Because she was the one thing that was the deepest affection of his heart. He loved her more than anything. This is what I imagine Paul is viewing. To pass from this life, to walk into the eternal weight of glory in the presence of his creator, and as the the glory of God shines and his face breaks through, he gets to lay eyes on the thing that he has been fixated on his entire life. The thing that brings him the most joy, the things that is the highest order of affection for him. He gets to see his face. That's why Paul can call this gain. Otherwise, you don't call death gain. I think for many of us, we fear death. We are limited in where we will allow ourselves to go and what we will allow ourselves to do by many things, and fear is just one of them. And here's the thought that's just been wrecking me all week, which is what if I am limited by the fact that I don't really see Jesus' glory as my ultimate goal. And that's why I don't see Jesus' presence as my ultimate gain. See, they're connected. Here's the truth. If the heart of a believer doesn't long to be in the presence of God more than anything, then at best we've got our priorities out of balance. And at worst, something is horribly broken. John Piper, again, wrote this. He said, in the end, the heart longs not for any of God's good gifts, but for God himself. To see him and know him and be in his presence is the soul's final feast. Beyond this, there is no quest. Words fail. We call it pleasure or joy or delight. But these are weak pointers to the unspeakable experience. To be in the presence of God, to be in the presence of the one that has been my heart's affection for my entire life, the English language fails to accurately describe 
what that will be like. He calls it the unspeakable experience. You know, um, in the world of business, there's a couple of terms that get thrown around, get used. Uh, one's risk tolerance and one is risk aversion. Okay, so you're either risk averse or you're risk tolerant. What does risk averse mean? Risk averse means I have money or I have things, have resources, right? And I want to hold on to those rather than to risk them to make more, right? I want to keep what I've got. And then you've got people that are risk tolerant. And what that means is they're willing to give up a certain amount of what they have to achieve more of that thing or to achieve a goal. As I was researching this idea, I, I read some studies that said that really, really high-level leaders, right, entrepreneurs, businessmen, the wealthiest people in the world have a trait that is much like a gambler. They have high risk tolerance. They are willing to give up everything to get the thing that they want, the thing that they see as best, to get more. They're willing to lose it all. Matter of fact, most of them will tell you that not taking the risk is the only risk. And I think Paul would say the same thing. Paul would say not taking the risk to lose everything for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ is the only risk. It's not even a question. Jesus' glory is my goal. Jesus' presence is my game. I risk it all. When this world holds nothing for me that shines brighter than the glory of Jesus, then it will not be able to take anything from me that means more than being in the presence of my creator. Paul understood that. This world held nothing for Paul that was brighter than the glory of Jesus. This, Paul couldn't, this, this world could not take one thing from Paul that mattered more than being in the, in the presence of God one day. Nothing. But here's the thing. This passage is not a call for every believer to be a martyr. It's not all, hey, everybody go find the most dangerous place they can go and, and go find a way to get, get dead. It's not what it's saying. The truth, some people are called to hard places to do hard things and it costs them their life. It happens. But most of us, we're called to go next door. We're called to go down the street. We're called to go to the coffee shop. We're called to go to the baseball field. We're called to go to the school. We're called to go to our work. That's the call of Jesus on our life for most of us. What I believe that this passage is a call to the people of God to do, it's a call for the people of God to fall totally and completely madly in love with Jesus Christ. This is not something we should fear or be dreaded about. We should recognize this as a call to the people of God to, to place their deepest affections on Jesus. Because here's the truth, when we do that, Whatever happens, good, bad, up, down, right or wrong, it is irrelevant because we win either way. Either way, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. They are both perfect outcomes. I think Paul knew this. This is what Paul's saying, the whole thing. Paul said, I've seen it all. I've seen everything this world has to offer. I've seen good, I've seen bad, I've seen up, I've seen down, I have seen rich, I've seen poor, I've seen persecuted, I have seen not. I've seen everything, and here's the one truth. Jesus is better than all of it. He's better. 
Well, Pastor Ben, you don't know about my life. I don't need to know about your life. Jesus is better. I don't need to know what you got, where you've been, where you're going, what you're going to do, how good it's going to be. Does it matter? Not one iota. You know why? Because Jesus is always going to be better. How dangerous do you think that idea made the Apostle Paul? Dangerous for the kingdom of God. When nothing means more than God's glory and being in his presence is the ultimate gain in the end, he became the most dangerous person in the room, every room he was in. So the question becomes then, how dangerous are we if we have the same viewpoint? How much work can we get done for God's kingdom if we view Jesus' glorification as our ultimate goal and we know that his presence one day will be our ultimate gain? I don't want us to miss the fact that the decision wasn't difficult because Paul was scared. Paul's life showed he wasn't scared to live a very difficult life. Paul wasn't scared to die. Both of those options pointed him to Jesus. His, his affection, his love was so deep for God. It wasn't that he was scared. It's that he knew they were both perfect options, so he couldn't choose. So where do you think this leaves us today? This is the question we have to talk about. I think as the people of God, if we really listen to, to this, God's word, if we look at it, well, there's some things we've just got to wrestle with. Especially if we want to live the life that God has died to provide us. There are two certainties in life. Two. In this world, in this earthly life. One is you only get one life. The one you're living right now is the only one you will get. You're not going to get a do-over. You're not going to get a second chance. It's going, to, it's going to have a beginning, a middle, and one day it'll have an end. It's the only one you get. Paul knew this. Paul leaned into this. Paul wrapped his arms around this to such a point that he lived his life in such a way that people knew that the thing that mattered most to Paul was Jesus. If we believe this, then how does that impact the way we're living our life? Does the life that you are leading point other people to the fact that Jesus is the thing you love the most? More than anything. More than yourself, more than your wife, more than your kids, more than anything. Does your life point people that way? Is that what it looks like? The second certainty is that one life will end one day. It just will. I know you know that, and if you didn't, I hate to be the breaker of the bad news. One day it will. But what the message just say? It's not bad news. The question you have to ask when you wrap your arms around the certainty that life will end one day is not, do I want to die? Nobody wants to die. It's, do I want the presence of Jesus? Do I want more of Him? And if I do, if that's my heart's longing, if that's my affection, if that's my deepest desire, then that will also shape the way I live my life here. Remember, I don't get to say Jesus' presence is my ultimate gain if I'm not willing to live a life that says Jesus' glory is my ultimate goal. Can't have one without the other. So, in conclusion, I'm gonna, I wanna do something with you. Um, 
I want you for a moment to imagine that you are the one writing this letter. You're the one writing this letter. And you're the one that gets to verse 21. And for your life, you get to say, for to me, to Ben, to live is blank. It's what? Whether you're a believer in the room today or you are not a believer, I want you to wrestle with this. What is my life about? What am I living for? For to me, to live is money, happiness, family, achievement, satisfaction, purpose. For to me, to live is what? What is your thing that to live is? And then you ask the question, for to me, Ben, to die is what? Is it fear? Is it grief? Is it sadness? Is it pain? What is it? You've got to, we've got to wrestle with these answers. If you're a believer in the room today, how do you answer that question? Because all the things I mentioned for the to live part are good things. None of those are bad. They just can't be the best. You can't live for everything or you end up living for nothing, right? It's gotta be a thing. If you're in the room today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior or if you are unsure if you do, this message is really for the church. This letter is written for the church, but here's what I would tell you, is that you can't have a deep and abiding affection for someone you've never met. It just doesn't work that way. Paul had a deep affection for Jesus because he'd met him, he knew him. The good news is, even if you don't know him, you can. Every one of us is created with a space in our soul that is specifically for the Lord. And we spend our entire lives, or some of us our entire lives, some of us a period of our lives, trying to put other things in that hole to fill it up because we know it's there, we just don't know what to do with it. And everything we put in there are weak pointers. They are things that are bound to fail and to give you less than the thing that your heart knows it has the affection for, the thing it longs for more deeply than anything, which is the person of Jesus. Today, if that's you, God's word says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. You may have walked in here that way, you don't have to walk out. Allow Jesus to be the affection of your heart. Allow him to be the thing that you want more than anything. For believers, for those of us that know Jesus, and the question I've been wrestling with all week, and here's what I'm gonna leave you guys with, which is, if my answers aren't Paul's answers, then what are they, and what do I do about it? Because to live the life that God calls us to live, we have to be able to answer the question, for to me to live is Christ, and for to me to die is gain. We have to believe it. So today, for the people in the room that call themselves New Beginnings Baptist Church, I would ask you, how do you answer those questions? And how do we get beyond that? How do we reorient our hearts in such a way that we can answer those questions that way? I would tell you that the Holy Spirit is the only thing that can do that. 
There's no amount of working harder or trying to be better or thinking more about it. None of that matters. The Holy Spirit's the only thing that can change your heart and reorient your perspective to make Christ the thing you want more than anything. So I'm gonna call you to pray. And I'm gonna call you to leave your seat and to come down here and to pray. There's no magic about this place, but the leaving the seat and the coming down here is a way of us as a church together affirming and saying, yes, Lord, I need this. Remember, we've got a mission to do. If we wanna be dangerous at the mission, we've gotta make sure that we see Jesus' glory as our ultimate goal. We've got to know that his presence is our ultimate gain. The only way we do that is by God wrecking our hearts. So I'm gonna call you today to pray. If you need to do it in your seat, do it in your seat. But I would ask you that if you feel comfortable, come down here to this altar and beg God to shape your heart in such a way that you view, G that you view Jesus with as much glory and as much majesty as you possibly can, knowing that that's going to fall short of what you'll actually see one day. So that's what I have for you this morning. One of the most impactful passages in all of God's word, I think, and it can be understood as a very difficult passage, but here's what I would tell you. At its heart is love. At its heart is affection for the one that came to this earth and lived a life you couldn't live and died the death you could never die so that one day you could walk into the eternal weight of glory. So I'm gonna pray. And when I'm done praying, we're gonna stand and we're gonna worship and there's gonna be people down here that would love to talk with you. If you have questions or don't know Jesus or, or don't know if you do, come down and let us talk. If you belong to Jesus, come and pray. Come and ask God to give you a view of him that makes his glory your goal and that gives you the confidence to say his presence one day will be your ultimate gain. Father, we love you so much. I'm so grateful for today, Lord. I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful for the way it convicts me of my need for you, Jesus. Lord, my only prayer today, Lord, is that you would be glorified. That in this place, in this time, in this moment, that your people would seek to bring you the most glory possible, God, knowing that that is our goal. That is why we exist, it's to magnify you, Lord, to lift you up. So let us do that today, Lord. Let us pray and seek your face, God. Let us beg you to reorient our hearts and, and give us a longing for you that we cannot explain, Lord, that overwhelms every other thing in our life, Lord, and propels us into the mission of God. Father, if there are any here that are far from you, Lord, that don't know you, that wrestle with the idea of knowing you, God, I pray that you would give them courage and boldness to stand up and walk down and, make, and, and, and ask questions, Lord, to come to know you, do the thing you can only do, which is to make a dead heart beat again, Father. We ask for that, Lord. So God, we as your people are grateful for this time together today, Lord. We love you. We love your church. I pray your blessings upon everyone in here, God. And I pray that in all we say and we do, we would lift your banner high, knowing that if we do that, all men will be drawn unto you, Father. God, I love you. I thank you, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and stand up, and let's worship.